everybody, it's me, Greg, your regular old host of Random Encounter. I've got some news for you, and we're going to get into episode 198. So kicking it off, Crowdfunding Chronicles continues its chronicle. We have Dwerve, which is um, kind of Zelda-y, like a top-down action RPG thing. It's got some tower defense stuff in there. It's got dwarves. It's dwarves. So that sounds pretty rad, to be honest. Our other entry is uh, Scarlet Republics, which is another strategy RPG, but uh, a little bit more Machiavellian and political. Uh, this will definitely be up Pete Leavitt's uh, Avenue for sure. Um, but uh, go check out both of these titles. But yeah, go check out both these titles for something a little new to get your teeth into and get down on the ground floor of uh, the perks. We have uh, also in the future department another column starting up called Flashback Friday, where members of the team are going to be sharing their fond RPG memories. Mark Chan starts us off with When, How, and Why I Fell in Love with Wild Arms, which is a just oh, fantastic game. But yeah, this new Flashback Friday column is neat, and maybe you'll uh, discover some classic RPG favorites that you may have missed out on. Another fantastic feature that we cover, which is still very pertinent with the ongoing pandemic as of this recording, RPGs is Therapy 2. We have another round of folks talking about all the different RPGs that have helped them kind of cope with various stressors in life. So Zach Wilkerson has once again guided the team to uh, create this beautiful, thoughtful feature for you to enjoy. And lastly, Mark Chan once again visits with another Flashback Friday, since, you know, we're going to get two every podcast, since this is a bi-weekly show. Anyways, whatever. Uh, so yeah, Mark Chan uh, went into Sakura Wars, Fat Stacks of Actual Paper, or How I Learned to Play Sakura Wars. Once again, neat title. Um, back in the day, Nathan was talking about it uh, with the, the new title that just came out. So yeah, go check out this read and see if it's a series worth diving into. And as always, we got a hefty amount of reviews for you to check out. Uh, the first one since our last recording comes from Alana Hangs, who got into 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. There's also a video review over on our YouTube channel, depending on how you want to partake of this one. And it's just a gorgeous game, so uh, I do recommend checking out the video because it just looks so pretty. But all in all, uh, Alana's really high on this game. This weird kind of hybrid mix of RTS, JRPG, tower defense, visual novel is just, it looks really neat. It was a joy for myself to edit and... Uh, I, yeah, I really want to check this game out, so she is definitely a fan, and you might be too. She gave it RPG fan editor's choice, so go check out her review of this stellar game. Audra Bowling continues playing all of the games. Uh, she was our reviewer on uh, Marvel's Avengers, which comes at us from uh, Square Enix, I think. Yeah, they're the ones who have been pushing this one pretty hard. Uh, overall, it seems pretty cool, but uh, definitely has some, some ways to grow as a game. But uh, yeah, if you are a fan of Marvel's Expanded Universe... This is definitely going to be a game for you to check out. And you can play with some friends, so why not? Get in there. Get your hero on. Our next review and partnered video review comes from me with Summer and Mara. That game was just delightful. Uh, I didn't mind it too much at all. Definitely more geared towards younger audiences, though. So uh, you got some kids in your life who want to just get their chill summer farm on. This game is definitely worth your while. So go check out my review on that. Snack World, the Dungeon Crawl, Gold. Uh, it's a thing. And I can't not say that, I guess, weirdly seriously. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, dropped on the Switch. Cool traditional roguelike that Nikki reviewed for us. And uh, mileage may vary with this. It's, you know, seems like a silly fun game, but uh, it's kind of, I guess, up to you what you're going to take from it. If you just like that whole grindy uh, adventure, then uh, check it out. And definitely a very new, different IP and style. So if you're looking for something fresh in your uh, game style, then check this one out. 
Kaylin Argyros got into Paradise Killer because it looks dope and uh, it's apparently pretty good. It's It plays like a neat little murder mystery. Uh, with It's got a lot of style and some great music, but there's definitely a bit of room for improvement in uh, how the game kind of handles overall, but, but it still seems like a pretty solid game, so go check out what Caitlin had to say about that. And our final review comes from Isaac Parsons with Hotel Sowels, which is a weird sounding title that's on the Nintendo Switch. It's a graphic adventure. I don't know, it's got a bit of um, kind of an Undertale-ish, Earthbound vibe in terms of how it presents itself, but obviously the gameplay is not at all the same. But yeah, thinks it's alright. It's got a very unique atmosphere and uh, world for you to check out so and uh yeah it definitely captures what it's going for in terms of its sense of style quite well even if it's uh, lacking in some of the music and the overall story element of it yeah check out what you had to say about this quirky little title maybe it's just one worth checking out and that's it that's all we will have hopefully some more music reviews on the docket coming up but uh, in the meantime you know as i said before in the last episode rhythm encounters back so at least that's one place you can check out some music reviews from us and otherwise enjoy random 198 Hey everybody, you could be a sports fan, you could be a game fan, you can be a fan of whatever, but you're here because you're RPG fans, and I am your host, Greg Delmage, here with uh, Random Encounter 198. I'm repeating myself because you probably just heard that in the intro, because I always finish the intros that way, and then I forget when I record this before it, whatever, who cares, it's a whole thing, you don't need to know my process, but I'm here with my co-host, uh, Jonah Logan, to hopefully keep us on track today. Well, I know I'm an RPG fan. Aren't you? Aren't you just? It says uh, that on my business card. <laughs> Wait, you have business cards? Mike got you business cards? I want business cards. No, I just, I got myself business cards. It's kind <laughs> of a, it's a vanity thing, really. I don't hand them out to anyone. I just have them sitting on my desk so I feel important. <laughs> I think we briefly talked about it on last episode, but once again, uh, congrats on becoming head of the reviews department here. So I guess that does entitle you to getting fancy business cards. Ooh, yes. Yeah, you're right. We'll have to get Mike right on that. Exactly. The- yeah, because uh, it's chief not like he's reviewer. busy enough already. Chief Reviewer General, John O'Logan. <laughs> uh, other people who uh, work for Jono uh, include Nathan Lee, who's on the podcast today. Hey everyone, I do have an RPG fan business card. Oh, really? I guess for con stuff, was it for E3? Did you go to E3? I can't remember. Yes, I did. Back in 2018. Seems like Nintendo. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Which, Jono, this was going to be your E3. Weren't you going to go this year? I don't want to talk about it. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> You could have had, could have had a business card, but you don't. Could have got doxxed by somebody. God, it's such a lost opportunity. Eh, there'll be more E3s. We got this. <laughs> Will there? I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it It'll was dicey as it was. Exactly. There'll be other conventions. We'll, we'll all meet at PAX. Whatever. <laughs> really? Will there? Maybe. We're, we're clean. Don't take this away from us, Jono. Anyways, you heard Pete leave it. He's also here again as well. So, John, I can hook you up with my guy. You got to get the matte finish. You got to get a QR code on the back. You got to get the rounded edges. If you want, we can put a little foil on it. You know. Is your guy Vistaprint? Uh, no, but <laughs> for the sake of the joke, uh, yeah, Vistaprint. <laughs> 
Everyone's got to go. You have some snazzy um, barbershop uh, business cards? I do, yeah. They're matte, and they have a QR code on the back to uh, to get you over to my scheduling webpage. Oh, that's snazzy. I'm pretty happy with that's them. fancy. I might have to make that like the random encounter graphic now. It's just your business card. <laughs> Like, I'll send it to you. I don't know. I mean, sure. I don't. I don't. I don't mind the the cross pollination. It's it's not going to help my business because I uh, really am very limited in the geographical area that I can work. So it's okay. Pear pear will fly over from Norway, and here we go. Uh, anyways, everybody, we're here to talk about games. I, I know it is standard custom to talk about everything but games for like half an hour with Pete Leavitt, but we're not going to fall into that trap today because. I got stuff to do, unfortunately. So we got games to talk about, and we're going to talk about those right after a word from our not sponsors, Microsoft and PlayStation, who uh, re- uh, revealed, well, Sony, I guess, who revealed their consoles and prices finally. I mean, we had the consoles, but now we know how much they cost. The console war, uh, I guess, speculation is done now. I don't know. For now. <laughs> There's still stories to be told, too. Like, how much did sony have to shuffle their feet to change the price and whatever that's kind of a fun thing to think about that a lot of people are speculating on right now mm. yeah because um i don't have the prices off the top of my head i mean the playstation it's 399 and 4.99 uh american because which, a blu-ray player costs a hundred dollars apparently and the and it doesn't come with more space or it does yeah they have the same amount of space don't they i, I can't remember so, they've spec, yeah. given us the spec yeah, that sounds right. And then the Xbox One Series X, am I right? Or is it just, just the Xbox Series X? Series X? Xbox X is, yeah. Exactly. Xbox X is up there trending with Pokemon Masters X. Um, no, uh, <laughs> stupid jokes aside, what's the prices on that wow. one? I can't remember. Is it a bit more or less? It's the same price for the it top the model, and then it's $200 cheaper for the digital. Uh, okay, so that's where they're kind of... Yeah, and so Sony didn't want to take that much of a wash, apparently. Well, but the digital. Well, yeah. So to, to be fair, the the Xbox Series S isn't just a, a like a driveless Xbox. It also has like a little like the GPU is like a step down and and things like that. So there there are hardware differences. Um, like some, I guess some of the ray tracing or whatever they're trying to do, or like the 4K capability will be a little bit different. Or I don't know all the details. I don't. I don't think it does uh, 4K, does it? I thought it only did. Uh, I thought it only did fourteen uh, forty, uh, and that's what I mean. Just like the 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 resolution capabilities vis a vis frame rate and whatnot um, are going to be different between the two models. So they're selling a, a lower powered model. It's still going to be. I mean, the the word I've heard here and there is that it's about on par with an Xbox One X as far as power. Um, but then it also has like that fancy SSD for the fast loading and whatever else. Hmm. I don't know. In terms of, I've, I mean, I've watched all of the reveals just like all of you have, and I'm not, I, I mean, I've been very impressed with what uh, Microsoft has done in like the last two days. Uh, but in terms of their, the Xbox Series S versus the uh, PlayStation 5 digital edition, it, it's not even a question in my mind. Like I'm going for the digital edition. I don't, I don't collect games physically. I just never really have. So the idea that I can have a PlayStation that's just as powerful as the full model, just without a Blu-ray drive in it, is very attractive to me. But the idea of getting a digital console that is less powerful than the current generation, uh, and likely, 
I mean, based on what's happened with PlayStation and Xbox in the past, there are going to be a, there's going to be a PlayStation Series SX. There's going to be a PlayStation 5 Pro, which means that thing is going to be left in the dust real fast in like the next couple of years. I know it's attractive now and it's cheap, but I'd rather get a current generation uh, console, essentially. Well, in Microsoft, what they're doing, they really are shifting their business model over to a service-based thing. So they're if, if it's not the case already, they're definitely moving toward the hardware side of things being more of a secondary element to their business. Um, because, of course, all those Xbox Series X games you could play on your computer or you can play through xCloud if you have that service on your like Android phone or whatever or on your tv through some dongle or something or through a browser um or how are they doing browse i'm pretty sure yeah i guess that they also are doing like a browser thing but um so they're they're shifting more toward that definitely and you can see that they're that they're almost saying hey um uh, we have this really high powered one and then we have if you don't have a computer or you're not interested in playing games on your computer you want a console but you don't care about the high power you can get this other one if you want but really sign up for our services. I can appreciate that. I mean, obviously, a lot of these companies think that game streaming is the way of the future. Yeah, it's they're trying to go into that whole Netflix model, which is problematic in and of itself for the industry as a whole. Um, the Xbox in a lot of itself is not that. just purely streaming. They're also like, you can just play the Xbox games on your computer. Like, you can have them natively on your PC through the Windows Store and things like that. So they're also offering a, a streaming option, but yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting the way that they're going, I think. But yeah, as far as hardware, I mean, the cool thing about the Series S is that it's really cheap, (laughs) and it looks like a big old walkie-talkie or something. And considerably smaller than the the mountain that is the Series X. Right. Yeah, which looks like a... Well, it's like, it it was reminding me of just like those uh, really powerful, like mac minis like just the big black cylinder looks like a server so just, you know but yeah exactly it's like a big black obelisk of of game power mm-hmm. throw a bone in the air mm-hmm. catches the sun you see the xbox series x <laughs> um johnny you were saying you're really impressed with what microsoft's been doing was it the the fact that they've acquired bethesda or is there more to it than that well i mean yeah the fact they acquired bethesda is i mean people are calling it a game changer it's i think it's more than that it's it's crazy, especially how much they paid for it. I don't think Disney bought LucasArts for that much, did they? I don't even know the price, to be frank. Uh, five point seven billion. For uh, Bethesda. For Bethesda, seven point five had the numbers 7. reversed. 5. I was thinking that was a little cheap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what they're getting is some of the most incredible. Uh, uh, games and series ever made. Um, I think that's, I mean, I wouldn't call it a deal, but I would certainly call it a massive, uh, a massive, uh, deal for the future of the Xbox and obviously, uh, obviously, uh, Windows 10. And I, I'm obviously Sony's not tremendously thrilled about the news, but at least they're still getting the exclusives they were promised. Yeah. I guess that might undercut their future title development with the company in some ways. I mean, I don't. Uh, it's like it, it's not like Minecraft, for example, was like pulled from PlayStation or anything like that. I don't think, or was it? No, I, I don't mean, think it was. And I, yeah, I, exactly. So I mean, there's still some stuff. You can still play Minecraft sure on your iPhone. Will. So that's true. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't so. think that Microsoft is going to uh, not release games for the uh, PlayStation 5. Uh, they will, but it'll probably be after quite a healthy exclusivity period on their own consoles. Yeah, exactly. Everything I've heard uh, from other companies, other development uh, studios that have been um, acquired by Microsoft is that they're pretty good at staying hands-off. They're pretty good at letting the company keep its culture as much as they can. Um, and people so far have been reported to be pretty happy. Like they're getting paid better and um, there's not so much interference from Microsoft apparently. But I'm not completely thrilled about this. Um, I'm, I'm happy for the devs in the short term, definitely, that they're able to have better pay and better working conditions. We definitely stand for that. But as far as just the long-term matter of corporate consolidation and i mean bethesda is huge um but microsoft even when you take the sum of of what microsoft has acquired in the past few years between bethesda and you know obsidian and all a bunch of the other companies that they've acquired it's it's nowhere near like the level of monopoly um or antitrust as like disney or whatever um but it just we should be a little concerned when we see things move in that direction. We should at least look on it with a little bit of skepticism, in my opinion. And um, so, I mean, in the short term, for the folks involved, it's a, it's going to be a good opportunity, it sounds like. Um, but we should just keep a wary eye on this kind of kind of corporate behavior. Agreed. But that being said, uh, I mean, I saw some celebration about this online, and I certainly don't think it's going to matter. Is like, oh, yay, Microsoft owns Fallout now. And it's like, well, yeah, technically, but Bethesda are still going to be developing it, so Fallout 76 not, isn't going to be going anywhere. Um, that Microsoft acquired Bethesda, the developer, not just the, not just the publisher, um, might mean that we get some games sooner than later, or maybe they'll have more timed like god only knows i don't would microsoft actually uh would they want to deal with the sheer number of bugs of a bethesda game or would they insist that those bugs are ironed out before it's released yeah that's there, there could be a better quality they, of life overall. i don't think they would don't enforce know. something like that yeah because the fans need something to fix do you <laughs> Just for clarity's sake, they they isn't it true? Didn't I hear they acquired Zenimax? It wasn't like just Bethesda; they got Zenimax. Yeah, the publisher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they not only got Fallout and Elder Scrolls, etc., but they also got like Doom, which is crazy. They got Doom. Uh, they got Wolfenstein. They got Prey. They got Dishonored. They got yeah, some wild properties. And they also got like upcoming pro upcoming new properties like uh, Deathloop. Deathloop. Yeah. Yeah, you just finished uh, Dishonored, didn't you? I played through, yeah, I played through all of the Dishonored game that you can play through up to now. Uh, just I finished it up just a, a couple months ago, um, but I hit it hard. I was I was playing a few times a day, just not really thinking about much else. And oh, it's so good. Even just constantly thinking about Dishonored when I'm not playing it, that that game leaves a serious impact. Uh, at least it did for me. Um, so much, I, I, so much that I'm so impressed with. And Dishonored One came out in what 2015 or something. So it's like no spring chicken. Does anyone know? Anyway, 
it's been out for a while. So, uh, but I still feel like it does. 2012. So... 2012. 2012. Oh, God. 2012. And it's aged well. I mean, again, it's wow. part of that whole plateau that we hit with games. But for gameplay and looks, it's still a standout game. It's got a very painterly look, so it does it does hold up in that way. And of course, you know, Dishonored Two is is much sharper and nicer looking. But um, and and I I forgot about this because we're past that moment. But when Dishonored Two launched, it was hampered by a whole bunch of like performance issues because you know id software and uh, be id software id tech be id tech and id tech lately has been kind of not so easy to optimize apparently is a, is a modified version of the id tech engine called void the void engine i think but anyway um yeah it the way that the game just keeps track of all of the happenings in the world all of your actions and how it comes back and plays out in future missions or in the endings or whatever there's like it seems like there's more than a dozen permutations of the ending that you can get based on like who lives, who gets exiled, who, who you know, whatever is like so many different, um, different things. But yeah, you so Greg and Jono, you guys played it, right? Nathan, have you played Dishonored? Yeah, I have for sure. Yes, sorry, I haven't played it. Yeah, I played through the whole series too, uh, and I, I I agree with you one hundred percent. I just love it. I think it's a phenomenal. I mean, you kind of want to call it a trilogy, but Death of the Outsider isn't. It doesn't really feel like part three it feels like a side story that is equally important and the dlc from dishonored one is just as critical too which yeah. is uh yeah. brig more witches and um the knife of dunwall you play as dowd in both of them anyway dishonored uh, you know it's a first person uh kind of sword slashing witchcraft game in like a steampunk victorian type of setting alternate uh, every, reality england yeah alternate history everything runs on whale oil instead of coal so like people are out there whaling and torturing whales to it's this horrendous thing that's driving all the industry in this empire and um it's just uh it's made by a lot of the same people who made some of in my opinion the best games ever made so some of the folks that were involved with like thief which is a series I love, so there's a lot of stealth, but uh, and really good stealth um, that are augmented by the powers that you get. The most, the power you use the most is this power called blink, where it's like you just teleport a short distance ahead of you, and the, all the traversal and all the usage of the powers and everything feel really good. The stealth makes sense, but if you also if you play that game violently it's a lot of fun you can see some really <laughs> awesome youtube videos of guys just speed running basically it's not even speed running it's like doing all the wild like utilizing the systems to do all these wild speed like stylish murdering? room clearing moves it's, yeah, yeah it's it, like it's like slaughter running i don't know slaughter but running that's exactly what it is let's call and it that the, i mean when i played it i'm such a i'm such a white hat i like i i try to play through the game as silently as possible only killing when i have to um me too i was trying to go for that achievement too and i got to the end of the game and i didn't get it and i was like who did i kill yeah who did some, i accidentally like someone drown you, you knock someone out and then they like fell off of a bookshelf and died or something well that's exactly that's it it's like somewhere someone accidentally was killed 
Oh, they like beyond... accidentally fell off of the dock into the water and drowned or something yeah. like that. Citizens yeah, are surprisingly awful. fragile in the Dishonored series. Yeah. Uh, but I was so impressed. The I, I was not... So I wasn't expecting to be as blown away with the world building as I was. Uh, because I had heard so much about Dishonored around the time that the games came out. And that's almost the first thing anyone ever wants to talk about is how incredible these worlds are. And if you hear it over and over, you kind of just like get used to it, but it's completely staggering the level of care and detail and atmosphere that they put into these. A lot of these missions are multi-part missions where you start off on the city streets and you're trying to like get to your mission. And then once you're in your mission, you're like in a different area. Maybe you're inside of a, of a mansion or like, the head of the the like the governmental mansion or something or some kind of facility and you have to sneak through there or you know do however you're going complete the mission however you're going to complete the mission and it's just it, it, the thing about dishonored is it's in the wake of this huge um plague that's brought on by a big rat infestation in the city so it's very much akin to like the Black Plague, but like what have happened later in history kind of thing. And rats are a constant motif in the game. Like sometimes you'll come across a swarm of rats and they'll like attack you. They're all really aggressive. Um, and oh, yeah, there's the also a witch, a witch power where you can summon a swarm of rats to attack people with. Um, and so it's got this real slow decay to it. And what I realized playing through the games in such quick succession and this world building exercise that they seem to do um, that I think is very much, very much could be viewed through an RPG lens, is how they do dichotomies and juxtapositions within the world, and almost everywhere in Dishonored that you are, it's like two places in one. So, the most obvious example, and you see this a lot in Dishonored One, is like the the wealth gap, and so you have, but it's it's crazy because. Everywhere where there has been poverty or or maybe like middle class populations, like either impoverished or middle class populations, they're almost empty because those places have been decimated by the plague. And so you're going through apartments and you're going through, you're sneaking through like from rooftop to rooftop and getting into people's apartments and going through them to go out the back window toward your objective. And you can tell it's been abandoned for years and that kind of slow decay and is like everywhere and even in some of the more wealthy areas or in some of the more privileged areas you can see that that they're very uh that they're not taken care of like they might have been one time so there are these there's a lot of these magnificent areas you're in but there's a little bit of squalor here and there because like no one ever goes in such and such room or such and such corner because there's less people (laughs) and so there's less staff perhaps and maybe the the person's fortune is has dwindled or something. Um, there are there are RPG mechanics in these games. Unfortunately, not quite enough for us to cover on RPG fan. And that's right. I mean that's a debate that lots of people have had. Um, yeah, I don't think we did cover this one. Although we did, it was definitely discussed in past podcasts. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens when Death Get Loop gets a little bit closer because it uses a lot of this a lot very similar mechanics to Dishonored. But I mean Dishonored Two in my mind has two of the most memorable levels i've ever played in a video game and that's the clockwork mansion and a crack in the slab and one thank you yeah they're incredible it's it's 
so everyone talked about Clockwork Mansion when the game came out, and it is, I mean, for good reason, obviously. It's, it's an amazing feat of level design. And you can tell, because at, when the Thief games came out in the 90s, those games were or in 98 and 2000. Uh, particularly Thief 2 was widely lauded as having some of the best level design in any game to that point. And you could tell these people think about this a lot. So Clockwork Mansion is like definitely a culmination of all that talent and all those resources. But a crack in the slab I didn't hear anyone talking about. And this, so the Clockwork Mansion is is a, a Exactly a mansion. what it sounds like. Yeah, all the rooms and all the floors and everything are all kind of mechanical. You push it, pull a lever, they swing in and out and you navigate. You can, there's times where you can kind of get behind the mechan- the machinations and kind of navigate that way too. Um, and this guy who owns it is like, thinks it's all a game because he knows you're there to talk to him or kill him maybe, but he's like, play my little game in my mansion. Um, but a crack in the slab is where you go to this area where there's like a governmental mansion that's been a, seemingly abandoned for years, but the guy is still alive, but he has lost touch with reality he's lost all faculties he has um he's he's not present uh and when you approach him this is a magnificent mansion that's just been completely overrun it's in an area where they're mining for silver so there are entire rooms that are like half filled with silver dust that has been blown in through the windows and um it's so you like you can climb up these mountains of silver dust like where the where the reflecting pool is in the courtyard but it's just covered in silver dust and the outsider who is a constant figure in these games who is like kind of the dark god that gives all the witches their witchcraft power uh, he gives you something called a timepiece he appears where you find this man playing piano in his abandoned mansion and he gives you something called a timepiece and it lets you jump back and forth um between the present time and a certain point in the past in that mansion so you can navigate that way the house is pristine and perfect and it's full of guards and staff and there's like a party going on and then you click it again and you're back into this like desolated obliterated manner so with this timepiece device if you if you push another button it'll bring up a lens that's like rendered real time in your first person view of the game. And when you look around, you see the other timeline from the one you are as it would be if you were to like warp back there. Months so you can, ago, or years yeah, ago. you can look years ago. So you can look around the room and be like, oh, okay, th- like here's this room that was blocked before, but I'm here now so I can click and I'll jump back over there. And that's how you like kind of true. That's how you complete the traversal puzzle of that level. And it's just, incredible inventiveness death of the outsider is a similar kind of like two worlds colliding where there's the void and the real world and it's like they collide and mix together in these really imaginative ways so the way that they do these juxtapositions of physical space is really unlike anything i've ever seen before or since now because it's been so long since those games came out and it's not just that, it's also the fact that these people are masters of architecture and style, like the, every place looks different, It's they're in different regions in a parallel, I guess, version of Europe, um, where this one I think takes place in, I can't remember the locale, but it's basically Spain, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's like a Mediterranean area, yeah. Yeah, and it's really cool, I mean, this level specifically, the time travel mechanics are amazing, and I mean, I love walking around the mansion because I'm a huge fan of uh, Abandoned Places videos on YouTube, and this is like a dream for that. 
it's a really cool game. Uh, if anyone's listening, I mean, if you're if you are an RPG fan and you're looking for something a little bit different, uh, check out Dishonored. It's cool. Yeah, it's stunning. Yeah, it's great, uh, like RPG adjacent gameplay, but only if you like the first person thing. Like, it's this will feed very much into kind of what John was playing later uh, when we get to that. But yeah. Uh, but speaking of the whole Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda and, you know, the idea of console exclusivity, uh, Sony does have a pretty sweet console exclusive uh, title coming out now that we finally got, you know, announcement on. We've all been hoping and speculating and we wouldn't be good RPG fans if we didn't talk about uh, how Spider-Man. much we love Peggle 2. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> <laughs> Final Fantasy 16 finally had its grand reveal. And boy, howdy, does it ever look like all the best parts of Final Fantasy 14 in a single player game, I find. Um, it was, that was the thing that struck me immediately was the aesthetic of that and also The Witcher. But uh, let's let's dish on that because. But with like new Final with Fantasy. Devil May Cry fighting. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, especially with like the flashy like Phoenix Feather wing thing coming out, which. I really hope they don't try and tie in some sort of stupid one-wing angel thing with Sephiroth and that as well. Oh, oh, that's an interesting thought. It's cool. I mean, when I looked at it for the first time, I felt very similar to how I felt when I saw Final Fantasy IX for the first time. Final Fantasy VII and VIII both kind of moved along the technological ladder uh, to almost modern day in places, and that's fine. It's good. It's a cool aesthetic, uh, modern fantasy. But that Final Fantasy IX instantly moved back to classic Final Fantasy uh, tropes and things and put a new spin on it. I loved that at the time. And this reminds me a lot of that. It doesn't, obviously you're not, you're not in a car traveling across the country on a highway as uh stand by me plays. You're in uh you're in a fantasy realm. And that, I love that. Yeah. It's definitely going back to its roots in probably a lot of good ways that I, the game, like you said, it seems to kind of go through those. It seems to go through those patterns of, mixing up the setting and then going back to its roots because we've really only had 11 12 and then 13 went way off the rails 14 kind of came back to it but 14 is its own separate entity so in like the single player series like 10 12 sorry 10 13 uh, and 15 were all like big departures from that classic medieval setting of the original core games and it's great because the the whole franchise has done such a great job of more often than not, I mean, you'll take from it what you will, has done a great job of at least making these new and exciting, interesting worlds to explore. Just the gameplay doesn't always lend itself to being the best to explore. And you know, then you ask questions like in Final Fantasy XV, and it's like, why are there all these small towns that aren't being overrun by monsters if monsters are so prevalent that I'm sent out to hunt them all the time? But anyways, that's a whole deeper issue. But sixteen, yeah, seems to get right back into that, hey, people liked The Witcher. People liked Game of Thrones, so let's go for that dark, gritty... Uh, fantasy that people seem to be craving these days i need to see more um it oh for sure we all do (laughs) yeah it it looked cool in a lot of ways i'd be i'm i mean final fantasy has been hit or miss as far as like the political intrigue and kind of history inspired kind of thing that they occasionally go, go for Tactics and um, twelve, I think, hit it best, but that's also yeah, I think, endemic of the Ivalis world. And fourteen apparently sure, does and, a fantastic job as well. But and and, and sometimes again, those, those games player. are still good, even if they don't nail it. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, twelve and tactics 
did do a really good job. But even if they don't nail it when they're going for that kind of thing, those games can still be plenty good. But my like <laughs> this might seem superficial, but hear me out. My thing is like, okay, well, first of all, I need to confirm: was it just me, or was that kid blonde and then turn evil, and then his hair turned black? Um, it was the like same the person, kid? right? The little kid, and then like the grown man. Yeah. Like, do you mean the grown man? Yeah. So not the grown man, but like the, clearly the the little kid grows up. He's got the exact same face as the little kid, except his hair is black and he's a little older. I like got Lee. the impression that he was the little kid's uh, guardian. Right, like but then there was guard. a later shot where it was a different black-haired person that was not the guardian that looked just like the little kid that I assume is a little kid, but mm. bad now. Maybe we'll have to see more. What? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I mean, it's worth a double check. color changed. We'll we'll see we'll see if uh maybe he's yeah maybe he's not bad we'll have to find out but why do they gotta change his hair from blonde to black and then say he's bad now like and that seems like a little because thing. that's how Spider Man three did it's it. Final Come Fantasy on. you know they're gonna make a big thing out of this like you know that this this is what Final Fantasy does so I, like like if if that's their if that's the vehicle for their drama then I have questions, but again, we'll have to see. I mean, some of the stuff look cool. I, I am a little also, I'm also a little skeptical about the direction of final fantasy combat and seven. Remake. Yeah. Com- so seven remake. I, I I haven't played. I don't have a PlayStation, so I haven't played it, but it looks pretty awesome. butter smooth. It is. The, the, the demo combat was worth getting great. a sense of it. Yeah. And I'd heard, and I'd heard it was good too. This combat seemed a little different in a way that I wasn't totally uh, on board with at the moment, but it's you know it's super early. They're they're saying that like we'll talk about this game more next year or like in two years. So it's clearly yeah. very very early. But they I want to see more. I'm to build some hype and let people know that it's it's happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's let a, people know they finally let go of Final Fantasy 15 and let it die. <laughs> some people like that game. They still have a lot well, of Final Fantasy do. 13 die for God's sake. <laughs> they want to i guess some people still like that game i don't know there's there's good things to be had in all of it so i like 13 too i don't know what the rest of the trilogy uh yeah it seems to be the fan favorite is 13 too but it's um yeah like th- there's something great in all of them and something to be appreciated uh, like it's it's like final fantasy 2 back in its day like they tried something different it doesn't always land but at least there's going to be a compelling world to explore more often than not, even though that one was basically Star Wars. Uh, not that I've played it all the way through, but just Empire <laughs> versus Rebels and yada, yada, yada. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying, because I was definitely like, oh, more of this combat. But if it is marrying more, uh, like uh, P. Deer Chusenberg was when we, of course, this happened. Everyone had wild speculation and people have been very hype like Quentin and Isaac and well, everybody in general, but there's been particularly vocal folks discussing what could be. Peter Treisenberg was saying how it seems like it could be a marriage of Final Fantasy VII and XV's combat, which I could take a little less of fifteen. But again, I like what Seven was doing in, in kind of meshing the action RPG with the traditional turn-based RPG combat. And that this does more of that and maybe with some more... Uh, devil may cry ish like combo flash that is a little bit like 15s um oh what was the the when you got to activate his essential like limit break power thing but it's let you do all kinds of wild combo stuff with the weapons um 
if it is, plays more like that, then that I can let go. But if it's as action heavy as 15 was, I don't know, I think it'll land as well. I'm not nervous about this. This is, it's like they said, it's going to be out in two years from now. What we saw today is such, or not today, what we saw recently is such a slice of development as it exists right now that there's a good chance that by the time we get it, it won't even resemble it. Um, so I'm not too worried. They'll figure out what works and they'll go with it. That's kind of what's, that's kind of what they do. Do you figure that, so I understand that we'll never see a mainline Final Fantasy game that's like turn-based, menu-based combat anymore. But do you think that we'll ever see a mainline Final Fantasy that is like a little more menu-heavy? Like maybe nods back to like that classic, potentially somewhat tactical, uh, not tactical in like a grid sense, but like tactical in like a decisions sense. Uh, Like 12? Well, I mean like 5. Like Final Fantasy V. Or like a game that, or like another Final Fantasy game that will give you all kinds of tactical options, many of which could work, um, but like it's menu heavy and gives you time to think about it. You think that'll well, ever happen? Probably, well, I mean, they well, I find sort of did with Bravely could. Default. Yeah, Bravely Default, sure. I, I feel like that um, probably going to stick to doing like stuff like Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler for stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think they're going so go to. So Square is just going to offload that kind of thinking to those kinds of games, and probably. Uh, I think so. I think so. Like what Nathan and John are saying, like it feels like with Final Fantasy now that they want that to be their flagship, but also their innovative series. And it seems like they want to take what works and be like, oh, we recognize now. It took them a while to that people want that nostalgia thing, and so yeah, they have splintered it off to be Octopath and um, and Bravely Default. So yeah, we'll get those experiences there. But I think they're going to keep innovating with whatever the trends in the industry are. By still trying to keep that touch of nostalgia in its general mechanics, but also pushing the boundaries. Looking at the looking at it through a nostalgia lens, which is kind of what everyone looks at through nowadays. Um, the generation that played uh, menu-heavy Final Fantasy games uh, is starting to go past. Uh, it get past. They're going to be starting to focus on well, Final Fantasy twelve, thirteen. These are the these are the memories for the current generation of gamers. Um, so I, I don't think they'll ever go back to, uh, obviously, AT, uh, active time uh, battle systems. That's We're getting old and dying. Oh, okay, fine. That makes sense. It's it's a way of the past, but I mean, Except for we still have dying money, off. so they still cater to us. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be catering to us with mainline Final Fantasies in the future. I think we're going to be like Bravely Default, Octopack Traveler. And also, who knows? They might release another uh, Final Fantasy Dimensions or a similar game along those lines at some point in the future. Yeah, World of Final Fantasy, yeah. yeah I mean, I remember that, uh, when even when Final Fantasy VII came out, some people within my circle were like, Final Fantasy VII? They just like stand there and look at each other, and then they'll occasionally run up and hit each other. What is this? Why can't I control the guy with a big sword? And obviously, you know, we know better now. And, you know, I think a lot of us, obviously, Final Fantasy VII was a huge success. We knew better back then, too. But there was probably a, a not insignificant number of people that were like, why do I have to choose attack? on a menu <laughs> yeah it's a 3d world i should be able to run around in it now right right like all the time and with combat yeah. it should be seamless like you know look more like chrono trigger and anyways yeah that's a whole thing i don't know um like nathan uh what was your first final fantasy again um like it technically was three but like i like never played three for longer than i think five hours because i got bored 
<laughs> the DS3. Yeah, the DS3. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. okay. That makes then, sense. So, what was the first one you stuck to? The one I stuck to was 13.2. And that's still a, my only Final Fantasy game. No <laughs> cheapers. So, do you, uh, what, why didn't you want to get into 15, for example? Um, I just, I just wasn't interested in 15. Like, I prefer, I think I like, I think I like turn based combat a lot more than action based. So, I didn't really stick to 15. It just didn't appeal to me. Gotcha. Did you give twelve a try yet? Or no, I guess you said you really haven't. But I would twelve. I, I think marriage is marriage. I have ten, ten two, and twelve HD collections just in my room somewhere, waiting to be played. And maybe at some point I'll get to it. You're but in yeah. it for a good time. I, think. I, I own <laughs> copies of them. Okay. Okay. That's cool. I haven't yet. played any of those <laughs> games either yet. I do want to, but I haven't either. So. But speaking of like. I guess throwback Final Fantasy games. We all recently got a uh, a I guess there's a remaster of a classic, not as classic as Final Fantasy VII, but still a classic. Uh, Final Fantasy uh, Crystal Chronicles, is it? Yeah, and it's um, Crystal Chronicles remastered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It and that's literally all it is. <laughs> um, I was playing it for review these uh, past few weeks. Uh, it is. I mean, I, I didn't get super far into it on the GameCube, although I got it on the Wii, so I couldn't even do the full like um, Game Boy Advance kind of hookup thing, unfortunately. But, uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed what it was. It's pretty simple. Uh, but now that I've played a lot more of it, that's really all it is. And, oh, it's just... It sucks because it's such a, f- a lovely, cool, magical, wondrous world. Like, it was such a neat departure. And I find, like, that whole series... Um, like I played the the follow up Echoes, oh shoot, was it just Final Fantasy Chronicles Echoes? No, I forget. Oh, um, whatever. John will tell us later. I'm sure. Yeah, this, this <laughs> the, the game on Wii, right? You're talking about? It, yeah, it was the Wii, but also on the 3DS, or sorry, on the DS, which was weird because they would cross play, and then the the Wii had this weird sort of like you could swap between screens thing. Oh, right. Okay. Like there was like two small that. windows and a big TV window. It was weird. Yeah, I think I ended up owning like the DS copy of that game. I just like I. I don't know if I still have it or not. <laughs> it's called Final Fantasy Chronicles Ring of Fates. Ring of Fates. There we go. And there's a couple then, others. There's uh, Echoes of Time. That's the one I was talking about. Echoes of Time. Yep. Ring of Fates, I don't know if I played. But yeah, it's had a lot of spin-off stuff. And uh, and so there's plenty of it to enjoy with the world. But they, they've just always had these weird clunky systems. And Crystal Chronicles started it all. And if you are nostalgic for it, uh, have nostalgia for it that's the only reason you're going to want to play this game because new players are not going to get anything from this uh, i find because it's just again it's bogged down by so much of its own bloat to get to its fun mystical world because the gameplay is very simple which is great because i've been playing it a bit with gwen and she was able to play with one of her friends which was really fun to watch and they were able to pick it up relatively easy they were able to join a game together using a copy of um Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Light on the Switch, and then Gwen was playing on our PlayStation 4 with um, her PS Plus account. And so they were able to host and figure it out and play together, and they had a good time with it. And after a few moments of like, how do I switch? What do I do? Yada, yada. They got through the level, beat the boss, were calling out tactics to each other, as well as just goofing around with what's this goblin up to, and, you know, whatever. It was it was really fun to watch that it was so easy. So that's definitely, I think, where it lies, is younger kids... Um, and like teens will probably get more out of this experience because it's so simple and approachable. And again, the storybook nature of the presentation is delightful, but you got to have patience because I mean, load times have come up with lots of reviews and it's coming up in mind a bit too. 
they add up especially when you get to these weird little like storytelling sequences because Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles just kind of throws you into it and doesn't really tell you what's going on it's just like here you are make a character and now go and you're like what am I doing I guess I go to these dungeons and then there's like a little tutorial where that's where you'll kind of get your exposition by asking questions but if you don't do that you just have to kind of go and everything you do the game will prompt you to read your Crystal Chronicle journal afterwards and that kind of shows you more of your character's inner thoughts which gives a bit more of a nicer embellishment to the overall progress you're making in the game so it's like there's really not a through line of story there's a bunch of random sequences that you could encounter on the road that dictates how much more story you're going to get like you'll hear about oh there's this black knight character and oh people feel like they're losing their memories and and all that kind of loosely touches on various aspects of the world but most of it's just world building and doesn't really speak to a story until like the final moments of the game where they're just like so here's the story uh we got like two hours maybe an hour and a half to get this out so here it all is and it's convoluted but have fun and it was cool it was nice i like i like what they're going for i just wish we had gotten that earlier (laughs) it sounds like it's a bit of a i guess relic of its time remaster because the game is 17 years old. absolutely yeah exactly and it's and it plays well for a 17-year-old game, and it looks fantastic. Like, I mean, it pushed the GameCube back in the day, and it's, and like the, the textures on it and everything look great now. So it, it's very crisp and has aged very well with this remaster. So I will give it that. They did, a, again, a, a better job on kind of this than they have on other games in the past. But it's still, um, it still can't fix what's wrong in terms of like having to slowly plod over the map go through these stupid miasma streams that are gatekeeping you which i feel like that's something they could have modernized like okay you have the element you can just skip through it instead of going through loading screen a minute uh, of walking loading screen <laughs> i mean i recall that when the game initially came out for gamecube all the fun there i mean it was never about the the, the narrative or anything all the fun was couch co-op with your buddies and then it's that uh, the functionality with the Game Boy Advance, I wish I remembered the the specifics of that, but I remember that being a significant part of it. And it's your menu, a really basically. cool gimmick that people enjoyed, and it sounds like one of the ways this game gets in its own way is the limited or no, is it no couch co-op? And, you know, the gimmick is different. <laughs> well, the gimmick is different because you can now basically do it on any device. You could argue they've made it easier, and really you can still do couch co-op because most of the devices you can play this game on are handheld. So if you've got an iPad, you've got your Switch, and you've got someone's Android phone, and someone on PlayStation 4, I can have three friends over with all those mobile devices, and I can host the game on my PlayStation 4, and we're effectively all playing couch co-op. But what's lost is that you're all not playing in the same world. Only the host is the one that progresses the world. So originally... You all played on the same GameCube memory card and populated the town because when you start the game off, everyone makes a character for the caravan and that character has a family that has a job in the host, in the the starting town. So you'll have a blacksmith, you'll have your tailor, and you'll have like your merchant, for example, which are three kind of crucial ones because they're the ones that are your shopkeepers early on in the game. And then there's a bunch of other tertiary ones. So like my character, for example, his parents were... Uh, ranchers so they kept giving me like free meat and i sent back seeds they gave me some free plant stuff and they're just items that go in the inventory and 
it's all great. And as long as you have the other families in your town, then you can go to them and buy gear and buy equipment, um, uh, artifacts and stuff like that, uh, or not artifacts, accessories. But now that kind of sense of you building that world together is gone because essentially the host player is the one that has to populate their entire town for themselves in their game, and you have to do it on your end as well, which you can do in the light version of the game. Essentially, you just can't go past the first area in the light game. But if you're playing with someone who's hosting the game, you can play through all of the dungeons with them. So while you won't make any progress on your own save, you can if you're still just playing with just that host all the time, you'll feel like you're kind of going through the game and the story with them if everyone's like kind of there watching. So it was very easy for the internet to kind of jump on, hey, there's no cows co-op, there's the world building sense is kind of gone. It's still there if you work for it. But chances are with the current state of the, the world, most people aren't really getting together for close confines gaming, especially when they can do it via an easy jump in, jump out online system which has been still a joy. I mean, it's you get like little simple cues to contact people in the game of like your character will be like, I'm going here, I'm picking up the chalice. Okay, thank you, I'm going to cast fire. You can do all kind of that communicating, but beyond that, there's not much else. So Gwen and I have been playing together and we've had randoms jump in with us and like it delights Gwen to know and she just loves playing with other people even though we really can't quite talk to them. But she's just like, look at us go, we're doing so good, we're such a great team and... And it's so much easier because they're also like really high level. So they'll come in and just like blast through the boss in like three hits. <laughs> and I find that kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the fun of that aspect of it. But it's still, it's a cool thing. It, it feels neat to kind of participate with others. And the fact that it is so easy for others just to jump in is cool. But it is, does lose a little something when you can't talk to each other and joke about, oh, can you believe that just happened? Or, hey, you carry the chalice for once. I've been carrying it the whole time. Or why you keep running over there? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So your mileage may vary with that aspect but it is really like you said Pete that is the best part of the game still is just the multiplayer couch co-op or the multiplayer combat experience like that is the fun part of delving into the game over the story but it is I'm just saying that it is a shame that they didn't give a bit more focus on the story because they have like a really neat kind of message to convey and again the world is super cool like I want to play D&D or something I just want more in this world but like I feel like they control the experience and how you can get through it like so tightly that you feel it just feels really cumbersome to try and get more of it so it's super like super they, linear it, uh, yes because you can because the game takes place over basically by year five every year you have three dungeons you can go to and collect myrrh which is what you bring back to your crystal in your hometown and once you do that the year ends you get a little summary of all your journal entries if you want to watch that and then you just set back out, rinse, repeat, and you do that for the next five years. But as you go, the barriers change between each of like the map sections where the dungeons are located in some of the hub towns. And um, you can kind of venture further and further out as you get better. But obviously the dungeons get more challenging the further out you go. And with each year, the monsters change as well. Uh, not the main boss, but just like the monsters populating the local map. Just subtle palette swaps, and they're a bit stronger, but they have better drops, and you can find better artifacts, which are persistent gear you can keep, because you don't level up in this game. It's strictly action RPG. Um, in uh, It's strictly an action game, but the RPG, I guess, customizability comes from you can alter your stats with your gear, and when you find artifacts at the end of each map, you can pick one that you keep and then you slowly collect them and they add passive bonuses that up your abilities. 
Interesting. So that's kind of where the grind comes from. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it is an interesting shakeup to the system, which I do like, but it can lead you to doing a lot of grinding, which draws out the gameplay a lot too. Like it's just a game that feels like it has a lot of padding. Yeah, that's, again, that's 2003, I would imagine. Like, yeah. RPGs back then, they, they did have a lot of padding. Yeah, they were just trying to make, like, a Final Fantasy Diablo-ish. Yeah, and, I mean, the game does have its fan base. I completely missed it. It came out in 2003. I would have been in second year of theater school, rolling on the ground, pretending to be fire. So I actually didn't get a chance to play it at the time. Uh, Nathan, uh, did you we'll play see it? That or, our... I guess I guess your only Final Fantasy is 13-2, so... No, like... Like I said, I own it. It's just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the case of the Final Fantasy games just aren't on my priority list. Isn't isn't this the one that starts off with you like airdropping in with a machine gun? <laughs> isn't that this one? Who are you? Or, oh, you're thinking of the one on the uh, the the one that was strictly on the Wii. Oh, okay, that was, that's okay. That's what I remember. Um, okay. Which that's something they added to this game. They have this mimic system where. When you go around, there's all these little Moogle houses that were hidden, and you could find your little Mog friend when you're in single player. The Moogle carries the chalice for you, except when it's a lazy jerk and is like, you carry it now. And then you have to carry it for like 10 steps before it's like, hey, let me do it. And you're like, make up your mind. Um, it can get <laughs> in cold locales and hot locales. It gets tired easier. So they have this weird little like mini game, which I learned was added like basically three weeks before the game launched. It was like a weird afterthought by the developer, uh, like the producer director. And it, it's this little thing where you can kind of go into the Moogle house and you can cut his hair, um, which, uh, you know, may sound good in practice, but it is clunky AF because you're trying to use analog sticks to rotate around a 3D model um, and cut on a 2D plane on a 3D object. Super annoying and very, very time consuming because you only cut a small portion at a time as well. So it's just don't do it. It's a waste of your time. Just that's put up not, with it when you're in the hot places. That's not cutting. <laughs> it's really annoying it sounds a lot like people <laughs> you around know. the world were doing doing covid actually with their own hair <laughs> yeah exactly just very poorly doing it and you can also spray paint them so it like boosts the spells that it kind of uses if it drops the chalice and get it to help but it barely uses the spells i don't know it's just i skipped that whole thing i used it once or twice and i was like this is dumb i'm not doing it anymore because it just was a huge waste of time everything the hair grows back really fast so it wears off really fast it's it's dumb but they added that you collect stamps from the other Moogle that's hanging in the house. And when you collect two of a kind or three of a kind, sometimes one, you unlock a mimic, um, which is usually an NPC from the base game. But they've also added guest characters from other games if you buy DLC. And one of them is this that machine gun dude from Crystal Chronicles and the Wii. Um, so you get these skins, which are purely cosmetic. It changes your voice. It just gives you that much more customizability on top of the... They've added an additional... Um, base skin to each of the tribes additional voices to customize things so they just kind of added more fun and customizability so that's kind of one of the other bells and whistles they added and once you beat the game they have high level dungeons which essentially again it's just more padding for the sake of padding if you just want to do more of the grind and get cooler better weapons and find cooler better items you can just keep going and get more powerful And but they are they're stupid hard I tried one later on um in one of the later areas that it happened to be in. I was like, oh, I'll just try it out, see how it's different. They change it seasonally. So, like, this place was now in a winter setting, which is cool. It's nice to see the the setting refreshed. But I went in, the first enemy just, like, basically two-shotted me. And I was like, cool, I can't be here. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back to the very first. It, so it basically lets you start over again, essentially. And everything looks a bit different. And then you can regrind, find better equipment to take to your towns and get them to upgrade and uh yeah and kind of go for some more high level grind gameplay but it really adds nothing to the story so 
if you really like the combat and want to play more with your friends, then that's what it's there for. It's fascinating. I remember when we were talking about it, uh, when you you were going to do the review, uh, I, both of us were really excited about the idea of, you know, Gwen playing with you and seeing what it's like. And from my takeaway from this, it sounds like for a certain age demographic, this could be a fabulous game and a great entryway into Final Fantasy. Well, yeah, and it's a, amusingly, Annette was, I was telling her about it back when uh, I first got it for review and we were chit-chatting about it and she was like, um, she came back again and one day when she was watching me play and she's like, what is this game? And I said, oh, it's Final Fantasy Crystal Con. She's like, oh, that's why it's so familiar. And then I was like, oh, you played it? She's like, yeah, I bought it back when on my GameCube and I was so excited. It was magic and fantasy and mystical and it, this was apparently her first Final Fantasy game. And and then she's like, and I hated it. It was awful, which is why I had such a hard time coming back to Final Fantasy when you tried to reintroduce it to me. Um, and she's since kind of liked it again. She hasn't played Final Fantasy four in ages, but she was enjoying it um, and wants to do through seven as well. But at any rate, yeah, but we were just like, oh, it'd be fun if you wanted to play with us. And she's like, no, nope. <laughs> we're like, all right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, but Gwen and I, that's so far where I'm having the most fun is just, it's now something Gwen and I look forward to sitting down and playing through a few dungeons. Um, and then you yeah, have some people hop in and, and it's just fun that we get to kind of call off each other and, and, and go around and it's fun watching how she gets it. And sometimes she's very good at support. Other times, not so much because she's still a bit of a coward and wants to keep back. And I'm like, but I took the uke. I'm the magic caster. You got to be on the front line. She's like, Oh yeah. So, and then she forgets to heal and, Either way, we get through it. We haven't had a we haven't failed a dungeon yet, so we we've made it. Good. It's just uh, some are have growing pains, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's where we're gonna get the most fun moving forward. And maybe someday we'll talk it into it. Maybe not. Maybe Gwen's dad will join us online at some point. I don't know. We'll see. If we got a whole local party of four, that could be pretty cool. But at least with just the two of us, we're doing just fine. Gwen's savvy enough with the gameplay that it's really not much of a struggle. So she's she's enjoying it and uh yeah i I just like the the daddy daughter time so you got a kid this is definitely a game to pick up and uh and and yeah again if you're a nostalgia freak for this game then you're gonna love it because it's just a better version of that game with the nicer new music and it just looks really really pretty like i was i'm consistently impressed by how good the game looks given how old it is and how great they did of the remaster the voice acting is fun so like the updates are nice enough, but you're only going to enjoy your time if you're super nostalgic or you have some cool friends to play with or cool kids in my case. <laughs> mm. Well, speaking of games that are great for kids, one that totally isn't apparently is Crusader Kings 3. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, are you going to try to spin this? <laughs> uh, which yeah, Pete, you've been speaking, of, speaking of cool kids, it's Crusader Kings 3 time. Yeah, yeah, Pete, you uh, we had a talk about this a couple of days ago and we were like, is this an RPG or is it not an RPG? Should we cover it? Shouldn't we cover it? And you made a compelling case. And from what I've seen, I'm really glad you did make a compelling case because it looks friggin' incredible. It's really, really wild. I've never played one of these before. I've never played a, a Paradox Grand Strategy game before either. So, um, uh, so Crusader Kings is very much an RPG that does a really good... Uh, it That looks a lot like a Grand Strategy game. But, you know, Paradox has Europa Universalis for that. Crusader Kings is a game that's almost purely about interpersonal relationships. And uh, it's, you know, the game starts off in like the 10 hundreds. Like, um, so think of kind of that time period kind of um, starting in sort of the early medieval 
what no like mid middle medieval period of like europe but uh the game spans europe asia and africa so it's uh got this huge scope and if you look at it it does look like a grand strategy game you're looking at a big map you're looking at all the borders it's really a lot to bite off at first because you're talking about there's filters between looking at empires and kingdoms and duchies and counties and it's all intertwined in ways that i still don't fully understand like how am i part of this kingdom but i'm part of this other duchy like it's the 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 way it it communicates the the political twists and turns of that time period in these areas is interesting it's a lot um it kind of makes you sympathize maybe with some of the folks in power back then, which isn't something you should do often, but because these people are monsters. But um, really, it's about developing relationships as a leader. So you could be a count, a duke, a king, or an emperor, you know. And one challenge in the, the game is very open ended. So it's not like take your county and build it up to an empire. You could do that eventually through generations and generations and generations of work. You know, uh, your your player character will die, and as long as you have an heir, the game will continue. And the relationships that your the relationships that your uh, predecessor formed will have an impact uh, on your on the the child's or the heir's uh, relationships as well. Um, likewise, things like territorial holdings and whatnot will all be um, divvied out based on succession laws, and it's all very complicated. Um, and it is, and and, and I don't want to, I don't want to scare anyone away because the the tutorial is also, it seems the tutorial seems to be doing the best it can, but it's also not adequate. You really learn just by playing the game. There will be little tooltips up on the top that will point out things that are going on, and it will send you to the encyclopedia page. And that's really helpful to learn about how some of these systems work. Um, but it really is too much to kind of get into the systems. You're clicking around on a map. You're clicking through a bunch of menus. Um, you're clicking on people and you're throwing feasts and you're plotting to assassinate them or you're plotting to 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 maybe romance someone so that you can blackmail them or whatever. It's a lot of um, really the, the, the breadth of actions you can take uh, alongside and against your your kind of political colleagues in this game is really staggering. Um, and so to kind of illustrate, I could just tell a brief story of one of my characters, really two of my characters. Um, so the tutorial starts you off in Ireland, but at any time, and so I, I played through a little bit of the tutorial and then I found out that there is a uh, random, like switch to random character button in the menu. So at that very point in time, you can just jump to whatever character the game picks out of like picks out at random. And so I clicked it a couple times and I was jumping around the map and I ended up in this little chiefdom in West Africa. And I was like, I'll play this guy for a while. And so it was I was like a pretty young ruler in like my mid 20s and I was uh, I had this little chiefdom of like f- maybe like four or five duchies and um or uh, counties rather and uh and so i he was unmarried so i married someone um 
And for some reason, there was another chieftain just to the north of me that hated me. So the leader of that, the leader there was like twice my age. And for some reason, he just hated me. And um, I started kind of building up militarily. And I started marching my troops around and kind of unifying the surrounding areas around me. And my wife became pregnant and had my daughter, who was my heir. So then she was, um, so she was my heir. And I eventually conquer the chiefdom to the north where that guy that hated me was and so obviously he hated me even worse um and he was still in charge of like the places he was in charge of but now he was my vassal so he was under me basically and um and then is there a place that like tracks all of these like hierarchies and stuff like yeah yeah what and Um, how to assign them stuff just through different kind of menu screens Honestly, even now, I'm still kind of figuring out some of the menu navigation because it, it is pretty dense. Um, but just even as you... The thing is, bumbling through this game without really knowing how everything works is maybe the perfect way to play it because you do feel like you're missing stuff and you're you're missing opportunities and you're making mistakes that, that a leader might, <laughs> especially if like you're talking about a leader who takes over a county at like eight years old or something. And um, so it's kind of like a perfect sandbox for that kind of gameplay. That's awesome. So sorry, you were like, so like two months after I took over this guy's uh, chiefdom, my, um, I find out that my daughter is not my child, but it's his child. (laughs) So this guy who hates me fathered my heir, right? And so I was, that was a whole kind of wild thing. And um, so I imprisoned him because under the the laws that were in place at that time, I had the right to imprison him. So I imprisoned him and uh, he eventually gets ransomed. Someone who's close to him uh, pays his ransom and he's able to, and I accept it and I let him go, Um, which was a mistake because uh, not long after that, I, there was like a random event that shot off um, where my character went incognito to a an army camp um just to kind of see like kind of observe the soldiers and the officers and observe their conduct and everything um without them knowing that i was me and a fight broke out and i tried to step in but i got injured and i quickly found a court physician who had no idea what he was doing and he removed my eye and i died the next day so this injury that i probably could have recovered from i ended up dying of because the court physician killed me so my well, like ten year old daughter or whatever medical. takes over, who's not my daughter, <laughs> but she is my legal heir. But she's not my daughter. She's this guy who hates me's daughter, and um, she actually lives to like twenty seven years old, and she's like pretty good. She's got good diplomacy. She gets married. She has a, a child of her own, and she's you know making sure that the child has good tutelage. You can assign that child to be somebody's ward. So basically, you can assign someone to tutor your child, and it can be yourself too. Um, and they'll pick up some of the skills based on the stats of that character. And, um, but then my dad, who's the guy that hated my mom's husband, right. Uh, sent me like this. He he hated me too. He like his, he was like negative 100, which is the maximum negative opinion you can have of someone. And he sends me this lavish carpet. He's like, here's a gift for you. And one of the options was, this is very suspicious. Get rid of this thing. And so I did that. And then like the next week he sends me a box of gold coins 
and when I open the box, there's like a powder in the gold coins that poisons me. And I did have a chance to survive, but I didn't survive. I died. So my own dad killed me. <laughs> and then like my heir was like six years old now. And so now it's their turn to try to take over. And I was like, that was awesome. At this, And then at that point, I just jumped to another character and started playing someone in like the the someone near Tibet, like the Tibetan Empire. <laughs> but it was like some little tiny county within the Tibetan Empire. And lots of cool stories happen there too. But that's what game that's that's the game that this is. That's wild. It's just a story generator based in this like historical setting, and it's really incredible. When are you adapting this to the HBO series? <laughs> I know it's better than games of Game of Thrones ever could be. And of course, the big thing with Crusader Kings two was like five seconds after that game came out, there was already a. a game of thrones mod for it and whatever that apparently people said was really really good so yeah it's very much that you know i mean you know game of game of thrones inspiration has always been like war of the roses era or whatever europe and all those all that like incestuous nonsense that happened there Uh, but yeah this is like a historical version of that definitely so yeah i've always thought about picking up uh crusader kings 2 a while ago so now I'm thinking about maybe I should like maybe wait for Crusade Kings three to like go down in price, but pick up Crusade Kings two and see how I like it. Well, Crusader Kings three is awesome, and I know that people love Crusader Kings two. And now there's all kinds of they do the paradox thing where like a game will be out for five years and there will be mountains and mountains and mountains of content like post release content for it that you can get into if you wanted to. Um, and then they release the next game, and it's like not quite like that. I think in Crusader Kings two, there's an official mode where you can play as like, yeah, you're in Europe and Asia and Africa, but you're also a bunch of anthropomorphic animals or something. That's like actual DLC from Paradox. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like Lands of Lore. I see why this game has such a following online. Oh yeah. And I don't know if this was a bug or something, but in the, in the current game I'm on, the current character in up in like the in the mountain ranges near Tibet, one of the one of the petty kings that hates me to the south of me, for some reason when I click on so when you click on someone's profile, it'll pull up like them, and then behind them is their spouse, and then it will show their heir. And if there's anybody that they have in their prison, it will show them too, especially if it's someone that you know that's imprisoned by them. Um, for some reason, like I clicked on this guy and everything was normal until I clicked on him again, like a few months later. Cause I wanted, I think I was trying to murder him cause he hated me. So I was trying to like sneak in and get one of my agents to kill him. And, um, his spouse behind him, she was just like topless. I'm like, what's happening? And there is, like, there is a religion in the game. That's Remember like when I said, this isn't kid friendly, ladies and gentlemen. Right. There is a religion in this game where, like, people will be nude. It's like an offshoot Christian religion where that really existed in Europe, apparently. There's, like, a there's a, there's a Vice Games article about it, I think. And they, are, they will have guys, like, covering up their goods with fig leaves, but they're otherwise nude. But this person didn't have that kind of religion. And it was, like, and I saw her before, and she was fully clothed. I have no idea how that happened. It might, maybe it was a bug. The game just came out, and... These things happen, you know, but maybe she learned something new about herself. Yeah, which is cool, you know. She hated me too, though, so. It seems like a lot of people hate you in this game. 
Well, just the ones I'm mentioning. (laughs) I had some, I I had actually a really good friend with this current character I'm on right now that had a lot of really touching, cool stories about it. Like I found a cat and then my husband was allergic to the cat. So I gave the cat to her and she was very happy with me. But then it turns out her husband was allergic to the cat. So she gave it back. (laughs) Either way, it sounds like um, Crusader Kings is like opposite Facebook where it's all bad news. Mm Hmm. I know some. Um, I know some uh, cat lovers who would call you history's greatest monster for that exchange. <laughs> I mean, I got the cat back. The ha- cat was happy. I don't know. Made my. Well, the more you've been my, talking about my uh, my my governor's uh, um, residence rat free for five years. I got a rat free bonus. Oh, well, that's nice. It's much better than dishonored. That's a stat bonus you rarely see in video games. <laughs> Anyway, um, game's good. I'm like, don't yeah. be afraid of this game if you have any interest in it and you're and you're so inclined. It's it's very good. And bumbling through it, trying to learn it, it is really intimidating. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it is intimidating. But just jumping in with both feet, giving it a shot, you, you'll get some wild stories just by doing that. I mean, I feel it's the same for like when I was learning how to play Civ all those years ago. You bumble around so much of it to figure out the mechanics. Um, the more you're talking about this game, though, the more it reminds me of uh, Double Fine's big Kickstarter success way back when, Massive Chalice, which is kind of quietly gone by the wayside and someone I want to kind of go back to for RPG fan. But uh, look into that one, Pete. You might have a you might be a fan of that as well. You told me about it before. I do want to play it. I heard about it. I do want to play okay, it. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, as we were just were mentioning uh, earlier in the show, uh, we had other games that uh, Jono was playing in that kind of feeds into Dishonored. Uh, you went back to... The Outer Worlds, uh, because we got some DLC. So, you, so yeah, you've been adventuring around with Pavardi and Nyoka on uh, your reliable ship. And uh, how's that been going? Uh, yeah, it was great returning to uh, the Outer Worlds. I don't know if I, I talked about it with uh, Tooker a couple of episodes ago when he reviewed the uh, the Switch version. Uh, he I think he gave it like mid-80s, even though that it looked terrible. Uh, the gameplay was all still there. I loved it. I mean, yeah. I'm a huge Fallout fan, um, and I felt this was the perfect remedy to Fallout 76 at the time, because it felt a bit like a spiritual sequel to uh, New Vegas. Uh, and one of the best things about the Fallout Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, was the DLC. They released a bunch of DLC packs for both games, and they weren't just little quests or a couple of extra things. You'd leave, and you'd go to an entirely different world space um and it would be its own little self-contained story and this is and the outer worlds has taken a page from this and they were releasing two dlcs and the first one just got released it's called peril on gorgon and it is sort of a private detective pastiche it's very noir hard-boiled detective-esque uh which is crossed with the starship captain firefly-esque world of the outer worlds and it doesn't you kind of would look at that and say, does it work? And then it, it, it works really, really well. So the plot of uh, Peril on Gorgon is a package is delivered to your good ship, the Unreliable, and you open it and there is a hand inside holding an audio recorder. And you listen to it and it's a guy named Lucky. And Lucky had taken on a job on this asteroid Gorgon and apparently uh, did not have very much luck with it and he asks you to take up the case. So you are sent to a mansion, and the mansion is oh, it's a it's an abandoned mansion that's owned by the Ambrose family, and you find Minnie Ambrose upstairs in it drinking, and she hires you to go to, uh, go to Gorgon proper and find her mother's journal, 
her mother was a research scientist, the head research scientist of the Spacer's Choice uh, facility on Gorgon. So you land on Gorgon. It's com- it's it. There are a few people left on it, but for the most part, it's pretty abandoned. Uh, except it's covered with marauders, uh, who are your enemies, and they're just kind of crazy humans who had just lost their minds and kind of become savages. I mean, that I guess explains a lot of the population dwindle. It's not like it's the most picturesque looking place. No, it's not. Um, it was abandoned years before, so everyone on the planet, besides the ones who are like inside this bar. Uh, which is kind of your hub space, are like research scientists and salespeople and uh, executives from Spacer's Choice who have just were left there and just slowly lost their minds over the years. So your job is to find out what happened on this uh, on this asteroid, uh, find the journal, and return it to Mini Ambrose. But then from there, it takes a couple of twists and turns, obviously, because it's a detective it's a detective pastiche, and uh, you you know, uncover a dark secret, uh, which was a little underwhelming to me at the time. Um, I'm not going to ruin it here, but it was a little underwhelming. If you, if you play it, I think you'll see what I said. I think in the review, I said it's very Serenity-esque. Yes, you weren't shy about that in the original, nor in this one. Yeah, I mean, The Outer Worlds is very inspired by Firefly, and this feels kind of inspired by its feature film continuation, Serenity. And that's not a bad thing, because, I mean, it's a great movie and it's a great game. So yeah, if you if you play The Outer Worlds, you know what this is. There aren't a whole lot of new gameplay mechanics uh, put into the game. The level caps lifted by uh, uh, the level caps lifted. Uh, there are new weapons to go along with that level cap, so you're not you know stuck with like level twenty four weapons if you're now at level thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there rude. are a few new science weapons uh, strewn throughout Gorgon that you can find, which have some interesting uh, interesting effects on uh, the enemies. Oh, there are also a few new extra perks and a few new flaws. But for the most part, if you played The Outer Worlds, you know what you're getting. It's still The Outer Worlds. If you had problems with that game, you're not going to find any of them solved here. It's not a sequel, it's a DLC. But if you did like The Outer Worlds, you're going to love it. And I, I very much enjoyed it. I loved meeting all the new characters. Uh, I thought the setting was very imaginative. Uh, we got to get a little bit of a deeper dive into the mechanics of one of the corporations, Spacer's Choice, which is like the cheap goods one. And I thought that it expanded on the lore in a very interesting way. Yeah, but I really liked it. I gave it a, I gave it a recommended uh, because we don't score our DLC reviews. So yeah, if you do own The Outer Worlds and you really liked it, I'd say get it. It's just going to give you yeah, some more it's gonna content. More it's going to give you a fun time. It's going to give you a few hours of enjoyment. And uh, depending on your play style, there's lots of conversation choices. You can fight your way through. You can stealth through if you want. And there are little little jokes and little expansions to other areas but for the most part it doesn't impact the actual like the main quest the only real problem i had with it is after you beat the dlc you then have to beat the outer worlds again to see the ending of the dlc oh yeah you mentioned that in your review that's so weird it's really frustrating like again from its fallout and it's fallout inspired dlcs but at the end of each of those dlcs you get ending cards just like you would at the end of the the actual Fallout 3 or New Vegas. But you get the uh, the uh, cards at the end of the DLC, so you kind of get it as own self-contained experience. But because now you don't until the end of the Outer Worlds proper, if you want to see the ending, you have to beat the last dungeon again. Or if you want to see both endings, you have to beat the last dungeon twice. And that was that was frustrating. It was annoying. It, 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 it felt like it was an unnecessary... Uh, 
an unnecessary extra step, I guess, to see the ending. And if you play through the game before, you're, you know, you know what the ending is. You don't really need to play it through it again. You might want to make some different choices, but yeah, but that was my only real problem with it. It wasn't exceptional. It wasn't a brilliant piece of DLC, but it was a fun piece of DLC. And if you like film noir, if you like hard-boiled detective fiction, it's worthwhile. So you better serve to kind of hold off uh, and wait for the DLC to come out before really plowing through the whole game. So that way you don't kind of run into that repetition. Yeah, I mean, the the DLC takes place prior to the last mission. There's no Once you finish the last mission in the Outer Worlds, there's no way to continue, which is a shame. Um, but once you beat the game, you beat the game. You can't explore the colony in its new state after you're done. So you have to beat the DLC before you beat the game. Gotcha. So having just jumped out of like Dishonored and stuff, is this one that might be on your radar, Pete? Uh, not particularly. Um, it seems cool. It seems fun. I love Fallout. I mean, I think Fallout New Vegas is one of the best games ever made. Period. But um, and you know, it's a lot of the same uh, DNA in that. But uh, I don't know. Something about it just didn't really jibe with me from the beginning. So it's kind of one that I'm content. Whenever there's something that. I'm, I can be fairly certain to be content with letting it slide by me. I'll do it because there is not enough life in our lifetimes to consume all the content that's good <laughs> to great. That's fair. Yeah, that's part so. of the that's part of the fun about working at RPG Fan. There's always something new. Yeah, and it's hard to ignore when everyone like. There's always someone at the site who's also so like impassioned by it. So you you that excites you, and you're just like, well. You seem so excited about it. I want to try this out. But on that right. note, I think everyone should probably play Yakuza. <laughs> that can that can yield some good fruits too. You know, getting into well, things that might thing. not normally get into because of someone's enthusiasm is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've all had things that have surprised us at the site. Uh, either a review that we've read and or a game that we finally experienced for ourselves that we're just like, oh, that was delightful. Actually, uh, Neil Shandran is the most. Uh, the, the poster child for that that's for sure <laughs> yeah some of the games he reviews i'm like i've mm-hmm. never even heard of this and it turns out to be a uh, a real hit with him so yeah exactly um but yeah speaking of uh, people at the site um nathan you're still here we haven't heard a ton from you because uh i know some of the stuff isn't in your wheelhouse for for games you love um but uh i know one thing that is is uh well something called rune factory uh, that uh, we just got some more of coming out soon. Yes, finally. I, I, I'm so excited to talk about Rune Factory 5. Like, just just, <laughs> just seeing the the images of it and finally seeing Rune Factory in HD was exciting. It's, so Yeah, because we... Because, yeah, the most thing we've gotten lately is just the remaster of 4, but, like, we really haven't gotten one on the consoles. Um, was there one on PlayStation 4? No, there wasn't, because uh, the studio shut down after Rune Factory 4 came out, so... I assume the series, was, assume the series DS, was right? dead, like for this past decade. For this past, like, was it when did Rune Factory Four come out? Like seven years ago. And then you got the remaster, and you're like, "Woo!" Yeah, I got the remaster. Well, when they revealed Rune Factory Five last year, during Town Direct, I think I actually cried, legitimately. <laughs> I think I actually, I think I actually shed tears. You just want more to come. I, I, I just love Rune Factory. Like the series is just, it's just, it's close to my heart. So. Yeah, it's. I mean. You can definitely see like where thing when we've talked about this a bit before, where like you know Stardew Valley has kind of taken a lot of what Rune Factory brought to the classic Harvest Moon model in the dungeon crawling and 
with a little bit of monster fighting and stuff like that too but like yeah rune factory is the one that started it and if you want that in that more um anime mystique like that series is great for it and Mm. It's understandable. This would definitely be in your wheelhouse. JRPG fans are definitely going to find a lot more mileage with Ruin Factory than they would with Stardew Valley. And yeah, these that new teaser we just got looks great. We can ride the the woolies now, yep. and presumably other monsters. So that's really exciting. But yeah, what are you what are you most thrilled by with this? Uh, I just want to see more of the characters because that's what Ruin Factory is always known for. Is like right. It's a, that's such a, they always have such quirky cast of characters, and it's always just so much fun to hang out, just hang out in town and meet everybody. Yeah, and there's generally a lot to talk about with them, and the the stories you can unlock are pretty. Like that's the other thing too is Ruin Factory brings a really interesting story trajectory to the game that again Harvest Moon was pretty light on. Yeah. Uh, what's this coming out on? Uh, Rune Factory 5 it should be on Switch I don't think any other systems I'm pretty sure it's just Switch okay Okay. cool I was curious because that enthusiasm was getting to me speaking of enthusiasm (laughs) it's like I gotta try this at the moment it's a Switch exclusive that should be coming out in 2021 a Switch exclusive a Switch exclusive yeah, you can get the it's prequel I guess like Rune Factory games aren't in any like kind of chronological order well, they are. They feature the same world, but everyone's character is different. Um, you can get Rune Factory 4 on Switch right now. Uh, yeah, Rune Factory 4 Special. Yeah, the remake of the... Are any of these on Steam? I don't think so, because they're, they're always Nintendo handheld exclusive. Yeah, they've oh, always I been see. Uh, okay. on 3DS yeah, for the DS well, and 3DS. Actually, no, I'm sorry. You know, Factory, I've had Factory my eye on a Switch for a while. So, so I guess the, the, the numbered games were exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if like they'll ever get around to porting these. I mean, they would translate well to PC and other consoles, but they seem to be pretty married to Nintendo as a as a console. Like maybe they'll port like the console Rune Factory games, but I don't see them putting the handhelds the the ones they would have at this point if if they wanted. To. Yeah, or even like <laughs> it could have been Devita, but that's long. But I mean, the dual screen. Thing. I feel like Nintendo is um, going to be a bit of a. Uh, a bit jealous about sharing this particular series. It looks like they have, considering that it is has been exclusive to Nintendo DS, 3DS, and now Switch for the, the entire time it was out. Um, I don't think that... I, I think they either would make a very lucrative deal to make sure that it stays only on their systems, or there's something in the contract that says, you know, it has to be only on Nintendo. Yeah. If I just pick it up off of eBay for the 3DS uh, Room Factory 4, that's that's still cool, right? That's still cool, yeah. Uh, Special didn't add, like, a ton to the base game. Like, there was, like, some new scenes, like, uh, outside the game itself, and then there's obviously the graphical enhancements. But uh, other than that, you can pick up Room Factory 4, it'd be perfectly fine. Hmm, okay. Interesting. But, yeah, like you were saying, Nathan, we haven't really seen, I guess, much of... Like, we saw the town, but we didn't really get to see any of the eligible bachelors, bachelorettes, and the other citizens yeah, really like, in any great detail. But presumably, we'll get more. That one, I think, purple-haired, purple-haired girl, I think that's the only one they, shot, they showed at all. So, And since Rune Factory 3, because Frontier, you had to be just a guy, I think. But I think 3 on, it was both genders. I believe so, because I remember one was specific specifically a guy because they had introduced story elements that made it specifically a guy i know four for sure it was was multiple was boy yeah but either way it's it's looking pretty sharp and uh yeah i mean i'm enthused for it in some ways as well 
I've just got so many farming sims on my plate now these days that I don't know if I'll be getting it day one by any means. What was the last one you reviewed? And for Nathan or farming sim? Uh, farming sim. Oh, farming sim. The last one Mara. I reviewed would be yeah, exactly. Summer in Mara was just after Friends of Mineral Town, mm. and there's more stuff coming up, but I don't know if I'll jump on it. But it's always uh, it's me or Nathan it seems these days. But um, uh, but I mean even then I didn't review Friends of Mineral Town. I just worked on the video review. That was um, uh, Nikki who did that one. Oh yeah, that was yeah. So yeah, so there's at least three of us now who are farming sim fans. So. So it'll get to somebody, I'm sure. I, I think our, our dear editor-in-chief, I believe, is also a farming sim fan. He's just not with Yep. But he has enough on his plate already. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, I don't know. There's a lot of love for the farming series. It's it's near and dear to the hearts, I think, of many people at RPG Fan. There's just something so nice about those games. I always just get the enjoyment out of it. I, I, I'm always addicted. Like every single time one of these games come out, <laughs> I'm just like, my sleep schedule is just gone. Like, forget it. It's, it's like, I'm staying up to like, 7, 8 a.m. playing this game and then waking up and doing it all over again. In Rune Factory 4, the combat was still kind of the same. Like, you couldn't really target or anything. Was it just kind of run around and button mashy? Yeah, just kind, kind of button mash combat. It wasn't like, like, Rune Factory's never been like the best at combat, but when I saw Rune Factory 5's combat, it looks really good. Like, they've made like, looks like there's some special attacks in there that are like, goes into specific animations. Yeah, I like that whole angle of uh, A, you being a ranger now instead of a farmer, so to speak. But also, yeah, that you can kind of, the relationships you develop, you can call citizens in kind of to help you. And I think that's pretty neat. And I guess we'll also further encourage the relationship building aspect with not just the the partner that you desire to marry. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see and wait for more details, but uh, I really like what I saw so far. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Rune Factory could translate well even to having a turn-based system. If that was the case, but not that they're going to do that. I think it's going to stay action based. I would just love for them to add a freaking lock on mechanic. Like if the combat was somewhere like what was added to Trials of Mana, the remake, that would, I think, work beautifully in Rune Factory 5 and be a lot more fun instead of like the kind of unwieldy, you might hit it, you might not, that has also plagued like Dragon Quest builders and such as well. Um, I, I don't know. I personally found the combat of four perfectly fine, but then again, I always use like, I just spent, I just brought out twin blades and I just like spam spam the attack button until I hit things. <laughs> yeah, it is very like very much like um, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles is like that too. Like you do have like a three hit combo system if you can get the timing down, but really there's not too much else nuanced to it. So yeah, these special attacks might add a bit more, uh, I guess, tactics to it. Yeah, maybe a little bit more variety. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can always bring out different weapons, but there's only so much you can do with the base combat. Yeah, and, like, and even, I think, in, like, Frontier, you could get, like, charge attacks, I think. It's yeah. been a while yeah. since I fought. You can do that in 4, game. too. You have charge attacks, or, yeah. like, stuff like, when I use Twin Blades, I can hold do a charge attack, and then I'll knock the enemy in the air, so this way they can't move while I wail on them. Oh, okay. So, yeah, like, yeah, and it was kind of like your farming implements, too. Like, as you upgraded them, you got better... Uh, charge ability oh yeah the, the but, fun thing yeah. is this hitting uh trying to kill monsters with, with farming tools or with the watering can it's always hilarious <laughs> i always yeah so i forgot that you could do that i always thought it was funny that the watering can had an attack value i'm like why would you do this and it's useful too because it's a water element weapon that's fair that's true there is a practical element to it but uh yeah that's 2021 so i'm sure we'll get some more reveals they'll be focusing on the eligible partners you can have and uh, I'm hoping they take the page too that Story of Seasons has gone into of allowing you to have same gender marriage and such as well. Yeah, which wasn't that in four? Didn't they add that? 
Uh, sorry, which one? To the uh, to special. No, they didn't add to special, which I was kind of ah. sad by. I mentioned that in my review that hopefully Rune Factory Five will add like same sex marriage. Yeah, because it just yeah, it seems do it. It's this day and age, just do it. Yeah. I don't see why there's any reason like, not to. Like I, I know the reason why they didn't do it because they didn't want to change too much of the base game, but uh, for, for the sequel, they should they should have it. Yeah, I suppose it was more of a direct port than like Friends of Mineral Town was more of a yeah, remake. Of so maybe that remake. was something yeah. easier to fix in the code. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like it would have been that hard, but whatever. I get where you're going with it. Yeah, that's like we do the story. And I think they barely had time to even do that. <laughs> gotcha. I think they're too busy working on five to like, there's kind of like, here's four just to kind of like get it back to people's minds and then work on Absolutely. Five. It was build hype, tie us over. Um, what monster are you most excited to ride, Nathan? Um, I should think in four you could ride animals. I remember like riding my my cow a lot or the buffamoo. I think it's called the buffamoose. Yeah, which is a great name for a monster. <laughs> That's always funny. Just yeah. like just using my buffamoose, just char- charging into combat on on a cow. It's just like the the image of it is just funny. I want to see like a marriage of the raising animals uh aspect kind of combined with like the monster rancher aspect. That'd be great. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be insane though. Be a lot of extra gameplay elements introduced into there. Um, but aside from this, I know you've been playing another game, which we won't go into right now because you're still kind of making your way through that. But uh, we'll hear about Sword Art Online another time. Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. You see. Maybe. <laughs> you, you have feelings on it. That's all I know. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're hopefully I'll have time and something in the future to come back on and we'll talk about it. <laughs> that works. Um, but yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our show. We've uh, we've 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 had, we've gone on a journey, um, maybe not as wild as Pete's Adventures in Crusader Kings 3. But, uh, you know, we laughed, we cried, we rode Buffamoo. Not really. Nobody was assassinated. Um, <laughs> I actually just downloaded Crusader Kings 2 while during this podcast. It's actually free I'm, to play I'm right still, now. Still, I'm still not sure uh, if the physician's mistake was really a mistake or not, actually. <laughs> You're still thinking about it? Think so it might have been two assassinations. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> How much is life going to, or this game going to creep into your life, keep you up at night? Yeah, kind of. I think it, 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 it is something I think about uh, offline. It's something I think about when I'm not playing it. That's for sure. It's not a bad thing for a game. I had that happen, I think. I can't remember if I mentioned it on this podcast or if it was just in a pre-show at some point. But just that I was playing Summer and Mara so much that I remember going into the grocery store and seeing pineapples. I was like, I need pineapples for a recipe in my brain. <laughs> translating that over to summer and mara because i've been playing it too much and was obsessing over the need for pineapples that i couldn't find anywhere in the game yet just because it hasn't progressed to the point in which i could access an island that had pineapples it's like a cake and I needed it but it's upside down i need it <laughs> exactly and so yeah it was just like i my brain was just like you need to get that pineapple just unreasonably and then i had to like step my brain out of the game mode for a half second and be like no 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 brain we don't need pineapple Greg in video games does. I don't actually need it, so let's not buy pineapple today because it will not serve <laughs> side, the purpose you think like it wants. Thousands of dollars in augmented reality uh, equipment. Ah, oh, that's a good point. See, there's an angle. Yeah, I suppose I can see that. That's valid. But at any rate, um, yeah, thank you everybody for being on the podcast today. It's nice having Pete and Nathan back again. It's great to be back. Yeah, thank you. And everybody, uh, if you have questions, complaints, uh, or pineapples to email me, you can hit us at podcast at rpgfan.com. 
and find me at gdelmi on the discord jonna where can people find you online uh you can send me mail if you'd like at jlogan at rpgfan.com i have a twitter account and i'm you know i'm always here so if you have anything that uh, you want greg and i to talk about on the show send her on in and we will yeah exactly pete we know you have a fancy uh business card but people uh don't have access to that where else can people access you pete barbero numeral one on twitter pete barbero one on twitter and uh, if you're so inclined, um, I'm RG Halfpenny on Twitch. And I'll just say, if you ever find yourself with some pineapple, make sure you don't throw the the skin away. Make sure you cut it off, boil it up with a stick or two of cinnamon and some sugar, and then you chill it. Or you can drink it hot. So you drink it hot right after you boil it up, or you can chill it for later. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on Culinary Encounters. Yeah, that's a nice recipe. Also, little known fact, you can just utter uh, Battletech, Battletech, Battletech into the ethos and it'll summon him. Yeah, if you look into a mirror, um, if you look in a bathroom mirror with all the lights turned off and you say Battletech, 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 I'll appear behind you with a Timberwolf. <laughs> That'd be frightening as hell. What happened to my bathroom? Anyways, Nathan, um, <laughs> where can people find you? Hey, you can find me on our Discord. I am Smashking on Discord. And then my Twitter is at Smashing27. As always, uh, you can check out our other podcasts. We have Retro Encounter. Rhythm Encounter is back in case you hadn't heard the news on the last episode and such. Yay! It's, it's so awesome. Go listen to it if you haven't. It's, it's awesome. Great to have it back. I mean, uh, Micah edited the last episode and afterwards was like, I need all three of these albums you all talked about. Uh, so that needs to happen for most people when you listen to it. It's just, again, passion fuels uh, a desire to... Uh, to join sure. and if you haven't listened to the last FOMO. episode of random encounter it was sort of like a rhythm random crossover so if you wanted to taste yeah that's what you're going to get from uh, rhythm encounter exactly you want more of that that's where you go uh keeping up on current events hat and eric have the phoenix edge podcast they also talked about final fantasy 16 speculation recently amongst other things so go check them out check out their live stream on fridays if i'm not mistaken and uh aside from that folks again episode 200 is coming oh, up so be please maybe Send us emails whoa, with some whoa, ideas. Whoa, really? uh, we've been getting a few. Big? Oh, yeah. it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, We're, it's a big number. We got Patrick Stewart. We've got. Uh, oh, actually, do you hear? We do not have about the budget uh, Patrick for that. Stewart, uh, Mark <laughs> Hamill crossover commercial. It was very yeah. funny, and I like the way they twisted it. But uh, no, we don't have any of those celebrities. But we'll have us here, and we're kind of cool, right? I mean, I'm on shows sometimes. It's almost like being a celebrity. Not really, but at any rate, uh, we're going to do some fun stuff and hopefully get some listeners involved with, uh, you know, your feedback and such and try and make that happen. We've already had some good suggestions that have gotten the gears turning with uh, what we want to bring to the show for episode 200. And aside from that, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for being on, everybody. For myself, for Jono, for Pete, and for Nathan. Take care. <laughs>